Hey, uh, Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are the co-founders of Avocado, an audio publishing platform. Uh, so we had kind of an interesting start of the week. So there's a scandal that we kind of touched on last week with audio Audible creators and how Audible is hiding this, these exchanges or returns in the sales data. So there's a, a Facebook group of a bunch of self-published audio book creators. And I, you know, very nicely uh, reached out and said, hey, you have this problem, I have the solution. You could, you know, build your own self-published audio product business on Avocado. And uh, there was a, a, quite a number of questions that came out of it. We built up a pretty good FAQ from it and did a lot more work on the website. And then, you know, people started to balk at it a little bit. Well, right, so the owner of the, the owner of the group uh, basically turned off commenting or, or they, they were pretty upset with your self-promotion, your, your um, blatant, um, yeah, your blatant self-promotion of your product that you were getting people. And I was reading some of the comments about you and it was, it was like, oh, the ethics of, of doing that, which I get, you know, these people are obviously, they're already upset with Audible and, uh, but it is, it is like the apparent solution to, this problem is to get off Audible, right? It's to, hey, you've got a product you're, um, you're getting royalties on from Audible. And it, it raises this larger question of, do they really want to be off Audible or do they want really this, this problem to be solved of these returns, which I think is the latter. They really just want this Amazon customer service approach to be turned off and to be treated as, you know, when you buy something, I was, seeing you know the most recent post was you buy something you only get a week to return it like they, they'd be happy with that or at least some people would be happy with that um it really it's a weird I, I spent some time digging into some of the posts and it really does remind me of like uh you know naps or people were taking screenshots of twitter threads of, of uh people advising them hey on audible you can return it so listen to the book and just return it at the end and you know they'll they'll give you your money back and so that really angered that group. But, you know, it, there was mention of uh, the ethics around Colin's posting. And it, I don't think it, the ethics are in question. We're just trying to obviously on one side promote some, pr promote a solution to their problem, which is, you know, take their distribution elsewhere. And uh, so that wasn't well received, but we did in reality, we had a bunch of people sign up and we started conversations with them and it, it, had a good effect this week on the product. We've made a bunch of changes where we're not so course focused, updating um, to match up with, I think a lot of the audio book creators are set in, you know, what they expect to see for cover art, what they expect to see for preview images and kind of getting used to avocado was a little bumpy. I think I saw a lot of the same feedback, but it was great to see that feedback. So uh, I don't know if this is all from that one group where you got, did you get banned? You just couldn't post or did they, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I would actually say the re reception was really good. I mean, there were probably 30 comments within a couple hours of like people asking probing questions because they were, I mean, it is a solution to their problem. And there was just like a small minority that was outraged and ended up not banning me, was, but freezing the conversation. It, yeah, it was the, the owner of the group. And I think the reason you got lucky is I think they're based in Australia. And so they woke up in the morning and realize Colin's been been chatting with people for eight hours, and oh my God, this this can't stand. So, I think they're really focused. At least this one group is really focused on sharing sort of their 
legal notes and seeing what supports telling one person versus another and trying to unify and build sort of a, um, it seems like they're trying to build a class action lawsuit, but I don't know if they're there just yet, but that seems like what they, they just need one skilled attorney to come in and, and unite everybody. But um, I think that's what, what the only people that were most upset were, yeah, the owners and I think what the owner was saying is, you know, I didn't build this group for you to promote to it, which is fair. You know, that's, it's probably poor form and, uh, but that's also why you're the promoter and, and uh, you know, you're definitely doing what, what we're trying to do right now, which is get more people to know we exist. There are, so I love Facebook groups as a way to like get feedback from your target customer. So there are probably 30 more like indie self-publishing audiobook creator Facebook groups. So I've joined all those. I'll probably start posting. If you wait two weeks, you lose that new new member badge, but I'll probably just start posting before that is over. Um, it, yeah, I mean, we really touched on something. We had our first, now we have our first romance novel on on the platform, right? So it's like good stuff has come out of this and uh, and that particular uh, customer, you know, was super willing to give us feedback and tell us what he liked, what he didn't. And I think we were able to quickly turn around some of the, uh, the changes, right? So if they wanted to see certain image sizes or certain things like, hey, let's, let's just quickly change that. We'll fix that for you. We'll change it for you. And just showing that we're you know, trying to make them happy and help them make money. I think we're able to, to find some fans. Yeah. So I love this unprompted like customer feedback and people have written us like fairly lengthy emails about things we should add, things we should improve. And I think that means we're like clearly touching on something that they care about. So that was felt really good. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I love a, I mean, obviously when you build stuff and you know that people are using it, but B um, that, Hey, if you just had this one thing, we would switch over or, you know, there's a big opportunity there. And obviously we have that luxury. That's the, Hey, we just built this platform and it, doesn't have a lot of code in it and we can add more easily. Obviously things slow down as you grow and you build and you have, you know, hundreds or thousands of customers that you need to consider in every little change. We're in a spot where, you know, we have enough customers where people will notice the change, but it's probably a net positive to add this feature or to add, you know, whatever goes into what's being requested. I, I think everything that we've heard, it's never been something that we take something away from one user and give it to another. It's all been, you know, everyone will benefit from it. And is it more so than just having our first romance creator on the platform? We also got our first like Christian uh, audiobook or publisher. Yes. yes. So we got the, the two opposing ends of the two passionate groups on there. Good. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for, and so I guess to that point, we had to put a little bit more thought into, you know, it's been a concern of mine since we started that somebody would put like hate speech or, you know, use it as a way or a platform to distribute stuff we don't necessarily agree with. And I guess it opened this conversation we had up around ethics of like, okay, well, we do have to have like some standards, like if it's going to lead to bodily harm or injury or and obviously this is a topic that's hotly debated in social media as to like, well, who gets to decide is, you know, are, there's all these left leaning liberals deciding what, you know, Facebook will publish. And it's, it's like, we definitely won't, don't want to touch on that territory, but at the same time, we do have a responsibility since we're hosting content as to like what is acceptable and what is not. So I, if I'm not mistaken, you came up with our, our you know, revised standards. 
Yeah, so I spent probably like a, after all those questions on Facebook, and I basically turned it into a more in-depth help center or FAQ. We just had kind of a basic FAQ before. And I had to figure out like, so what are we going to allow? And I'm completely cool with stuff that we disagree with. And I think that is even you know likely to happen at some point. But the things we don't allow are threatening any individual person, inciting violence, peddling Nazism, or sharing private information about a private citizen. Um, so basically, as long as you're not encouraging discrimination or threatening people, you're kind of good to go. Yeah, it, I think it's still, I think we're in a good spot given you know, our customer base and who's actually posting. I mean, we have a lot of diverse content. I think all of it has, the most outlandish stuff is like, you know, in good fun. And it's not really, there's no one's, no one's going to get hurt by it. It's, it's not false either. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, it, when, how do you define false? That's kind of one of the big problems of our generation is like, well, that's fake news. It's like, well, is it, how do you, how do you define that? Who, who's the arbiter of truth on these platforms? So, I mean, I think we we're under the radar in the sense of everything that that's on the, platform currently is you know not objectionable by any means and it'd be very hard to take offense at any of this stuff but um yeah I, we're gonna run into it and we're going to have to make a call at some point but it, it i think we're, we have good guiding principles around it and it's sort of uh there are constraints that are established in the industry though like we are accepting credit card payments by the by that definition i think we have to adhere to you know what is being sold and i think you know pornography is a big one i think you can't use your normal uh credit card payments but i can't i don't know if the definition of pornography extends into audio i really not really <laughs> so i i had to go into this i wrote up a page on it i didn't know what it was either but with your banking partners you can't have pornography and pornography is defined as photos or videos depicting real human adults engaging in sexual activities. Got it, so, okay. Like we, audio stuff is all good. So if anything, like we're targeting it a little bit, like this romance, erotica, audio stories, I think could be a big segment. And mm -hmm. that's fine, as long as their cover art is not real humans. Got it, got it. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think we'll see what happens, but it it's something you, I think in this day and age, you really have to be, conscious conscious of versus like oh let's just let it be an open platform and we'll, we'll run into it you know they'll sort of move fast and break things i think we have to be thoughtful in this generation of you know building a new product is like we're beyond the oh it, it won't happen or it only happen until it's a problem it's like you have to be thoughtful about this stuff now yeah for sure um other updates i mean obviously pushing more changes um improving things on the product, adding more images, you know, fitting in. Again, the audio book publishers all have these square cover art images. So kind of navigating that and um, you know, reworking the UI a little bit to fit uh, the mold that you know, they expect a little bit more as well as just, you know, finding more updates. And then I think the next thing that I, uh, I started in on this week, but have not shipped is, um, cohort-based classes, which is a, a term that uh, I feel like is, has been around for a long time, but is, you know, and, and this is kind of a, an openness. We actually haven't discussed this to a large extent. It's like, uh, but we have had demand. I've had a couple of creators say, hey, it'd be great. 
I want to sell my course, but I want it to run an eight week schedule where it's like lessons and sort of modules release in certain week patterns, which is common for Coursera. I think Udemy supports that as well. Um, Coursera has it where, you know, you actually take a quiz and you don't pass, you know, you have to get an 80% or 70% or greater before you can move on to the next uh, lesson and kind of verify that you've understood. And we've kind of wanted to stay away from that purely out of, you know, screen time. You know, we don't want you to have to get back into your screen and take a test. And so we've talked about, you know, voice for and transcription for, for tests. And so sidestepping the tests, actually releasing a uh, cohort-based cohort class where you, you take the course and things are released and sort of coursed out for you over a, a period of time is what I'm working on and, and focusing on how to do. I mean, we did build a concept of courses, or sorry, cohorts for Theory of Me. That was a, a big piece. And so just expanding on that is, is kind of what I'm focusing on. I'm excited about that because I think that that'll open up, a, that's a commonly requested feature that we've seen. Yeah, I don't know if what cohort-based courses applies to that exact wording. So everyone kind of drips their content. So Jump Cut, Teachable, some of the bigger, more expensive courses that are in the thousands of dollars, they spread it out so people feel like they're getting more value if it's spread out over eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And then, so that is more dripping content. Cohort is like, I think, going through as a group, like one group right, goes through. Right, with a start date. Right, Yeah. So a lot of people that make really good money on these courses charge like $4,000 a course. It's almost like the community is as big of an aspect of it as the like content. Mm. And they will send, I don't know, 50, 100 people through at once. And they'll be broken up into small groups and they're all learning to, you know, write something together or something along those lines. Sure. Yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot to that. I mean, we've struggled with the discussion part of this and that is that's always the problem is, is every, you know, if somebody's coming at it from lesson eight and another person just started and the conversations are kind of all over the place, they don't make, the context doesn't make sense unless you're kind of learning things together at the, the sort of stepwise motion. Yeah, and that's what it seems like most people have decided is kind of the future of, you know, intense learning, some intense topic that you really want to go through. It's like that uh, feeling of going through it together with peers and that peer pressure of actually getting something done is pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I think we still need to figure out, you know, discussions. I mean, there's, there's power to it, but again, you know, going at it from a cohort base, that might make sense. Or even just like instructor discussion, like being able to go back and forth with an instructor, ask questions, and again, having them know where you're at. I, I could see how those features sort of tie in together. Of, hey, we're, they know you're part of this, fall cohort that started, you know, October 1 and extends all the way till, you know, the beginning of December. So it's like more like a traditional classroom setting, or I should say virtual classroom setting, like if you're going to go to a traditional university and enroll, what the interaction's like. Right. Yeah, some, like sending out notifications is something that I think Jackie has brought up a few times, like being able to push that we're going live in 30 minutes or something like that would probably be useful. Yeah, I, lo I love that idea. I mean, I think that's one thing that we need to throw into the, the mobile app is some push notification capability, but also just, um, yeah, saying, hey, Sundays at three o'clock, our new content pushes out and almost creating a special time and fitting that to whatever the course is. I think that's part of what people, I think there will be an additional value versus like, okay, here's all the lessons, listen to it. I'm, 
I consume that way because I like to see it all. Um, I like to skip things and come back and kind of, it depends on what it is, but if it's possible to kind of go into what's the most interesting and then work backwards, I don't know why I like doing that, but I like kind of seeing everything at once, but obviously that was the easiest thing to build as well. So let's not say that, let's not pretend like this was a highly conscious choice. This was a, you know, what can we do to get courses up and see how people use them? And this is just part of the evolution of it. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, like it seems like folks have kind of hacked teachable to do this kind of thing. And then Kagan, I think it's how you pronounce his name, just raised $4 million seed round without a, a product, it seems, to basically pursue some version of this. Yeah, uh, I did see that. And so they're looking, I was kind of like, wow, that's, that's crazy. They, they don't have a product. They don't have a technical co-founder, but they're two. I, I know he has been successful in the past, so that's probably a good reason why he's able to raise a whole bunch of money, which. Um, you know, as somebody who would be looking at deals, that's probably enough. Obviously, it is enough proof to say, hey, this person's going to figure it out and be able to, to get there. Um, it's just precarious, right? It's like, uh, you know, as we look at the potential of fundraising, obviously, the questions will be around our background or, you know, but more so, you know, product traction. So I think that, to me, it defines the definite, it defines the difference between uh, raising money in Silicon Valley versus raising money everywhere else is, you know, it's sort of pedigree background and uh, there tends to be uh, a little bit less of a bar around product. Like we, I think we, I'm trying to remember the the deck that was floating around that we saw where it was a similar pitch. It's like, Hey, here are the two founders. Here's a couple of screens for what they want to build. But like, here's the, you know, here's what we're looking for for an investment to build it, um, which is, you know, just a different approach. Yeah. Uh, so, Kate, I don't know if his name is Kagan. It's something like that. Uh, he, when you're a serial founder like that, he did, we did Udemy, which obviously a big success, and then Sprig, which Sprig, got yeah. big and kind of flamed out. But he, when you're a serial founder, you kind of get credit around early if, as far as like traction. So he could raise a seed round without anything in the market when if you're nobody, you kind of need something in the market and traction to raise a $4 million seed round. But if you think of it from the VC perspective, it makes sense. Like the likelihood of this guy succeeding wildly is higher, higher oh, enough yeah. that you would give him credit for, you know, one round early, basically in funding. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's been, you know, at it for a while and has the track record, which is, I think if you get into what venture capital is all about, that tends to be it's more so the people than the, the thing. Because more often than not, for a pre-seed deal, the thing isn't going to be the thing for very long. Yeah, As absolutely. As in, they're going to pivot, change. Especially you know, um, in the early stages more so. They're like, you don't really know who the founder or the CEO of GE is or any of these huge companies because they don't matter quite as much as it does in the early stages. Yeah. Interesting. Very, uh, um, so they are... And that was the term that I was, was adopting was from this cohort-based course. But it, to me, uh, you know, the forever optimist, I guess, uh, which those of you that know me know I'm not a huge, necessarily a huge optimist, but I, I do see that as a, a positive note for Avocado. I, I see, obviously, this is a, a space that, I mean, especially with the pandemic, is um, growing. And, you know, the, obviously, the creator economy is continuing to get more and more interest and I don't know, rising tide lifts all ships. 
Absolutely. Um, I guess on that note, that's kind of all I got. Do you have anything else? No, just plugging away. I mean, I think pushing more changes, uh, improving the, the platform and doing it with an effect on some of these new customers that we're, we're having conversations with. So really excited about, you know, seeing more usage and more platform adoption and, um, you know, adjusting to what that market needs. I'm excited to see uh, how people are going to continue to use it. So it's kind of what gets me up and, and working on this thing every day is, is, you know, we see more activity through, through Stripe or analytics and just saying, okay, we're seeing like the, the fruits of these conversations and interest and um, yeah, just it's continuing to be a lot of fun. Step-by-step step, making progress. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, until next week, we'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening.